When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone. Welcome to the 11th episode of the FBL Wire, powered by DreamSet Go. I'm your host, Zofa, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Late Riser. How was the game week, LR? Oh, it was a little painful. I got 46 points. There were some emotions being felt on Saturday watching your boy, Timo Werner, scuffing chance after chance. What could have been? Uh, I mean, I was so excited. You know, I've been traveling for the past few weeks. This was one empty Saturday that I had. I had a lot of plays playing on Saturday. So I saw Timo do what he was doing. I see. I saw Jesus block De Bruyne's goal, who I just brought in. Uh, so it just didn't work out. But if you really have to think about the process, I made some good decisions in terms of... Werner was a good captaincy decision in terms of how he ended up playing and how the game panned out. And I ended up starting ailing ahead of target which wasn't a very popular call, but uh, I think backing against Arsenal for a clean sheet is one of the most odds-on things to do right now. So, yeah, I was uh, happy with how that turned out and hoping that City finally gained form and uh, I'm able to make some, I'm able to climb up the table. Mm-hmm. How was your week? Wildcard week? 60 points, solid but not spectacular, but all the differentials are really in play next week. Double City defence, De Bruyne, Vardy. So, I hope that's when I can really kick on. So, we also have with us Fantasy Football Scout's deputy editor, Neil, also known as Conto Riga, a brilliant writer who also handles the team news updates. He's also a competent fantasy manager who has been playing the game since 2006, finishing in the top 50k in nine of those 14 seasons. We are glad to have you on, Neil. How's it going? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really do appreciate it. I mean, there's, there's a, a wealth of options you could have on far better managers than me, but um, hopefully, yeah, I can tell you a bit about of, of um, fantasy football scout and what I do and my past record and things like that today. But yeah, gimmick, gimmick nine was was decent. I mean, 70 points, you could take that most weeks. Uh, as usual, uh, glass half full. I'm looking at what I should have done and the points I've missed out. Uh, Pranil mentioned uh, um, Werner's profligacy in front of goal against Newcastle and why do I still want Mitrovic is a question I ask myself every game week and yet here he is still in my team um, I was suckered into playing him this week because Everton's defence as I think we mentioned later on it isn't great I mean they've conceded two goals in each of the last six games so I thought give him one more week what's the worst that can happen and mm. look what happened he got, he got benched and came on for one pointer 
when I was thinking of doing the the minus four at the Calvert Lewin, which would have amply paid off. But there we go, seventy points. I'm really I'm complaining about very little. Um, otherwise, pretty decent decent week. Yep. So we'll get into your team a little later on. So a quick word about our sponsors. Dreamset Go is a global portal for fans to gain access to sporting events around the world. Accommodation, flight tickets, hospitality, stadium visits, everything can be tailored exactly to your requirements. They also do celebrity experiences, which include masterclasses with your favorite sports celebrity or something as simple as birthday shoutouts. Visit dreamsetgo.co for more. The FPL Wire is a part of the Fantasy Scout Network and all stats used in this podcast are taken from the FFS members area. Please sign up if you haven't already. I wonder how many of our listeners can now say that off the bat. Just I think our sponsors <laughs> will be happy. Anyway, mm-hmm. just talking about the agenda and things we're going to be talking about on the pod today. Uh, Sox is going to be interviewing Neil in terms of what he's done in the past and his fantasy record. We're going to be looking at the top five premium assets at the moment. A lot of questions coming in terms of how do we rank these premium assets at the moment. So we're going to be discussing that. We're going to be discussing who the whipping boys are, which defenses to target for captaincy. We're going to discuss uh, whether DCL is a blue pick because he has a tough enough fixtures in a couple of weeks. Is, is he a hold or a sell? We're going to deep dive into two teams, Newcastle as well as Liverpool. Uh, Neil here is a Newcastle fan, so hopefully he can give us some more insight on Newcastle. After that, we have standard fixtures, captaincy, differential picks, teams and the Q&A. Zoff, why don't you start? Yep. So I'm just going to pull up Neil's record first over here. So you've been playing since 2006, Neil, I see. And you have a background in journalism, I see, prior to joining Fantasy Scout. So you were obviously an avid fantasy player even before you took the job. So tell us about what you did before FFS and how you ended up there. Yeah, as you said, uh, um, journalist by uh, qualification, so studied at university, worked in in sort of TV and uh, radio listings, metadata for the best part of a decade. And then I, sort of my FPL writing started for a company called The Stat Zone, who very kindly took a bit of a punt on me, a bit of an unknown at the time. And uh, I worked with them as a freelancer for, I think, about a year, writing sort of gaming previews, um, projections like RMT and um, a bit of Champions League stuff as well, UCL Fantasy. And I think on the back of that, and just your pure, pure luck and timing, um, Mark started advertising for, for um, roles to essentially replace him on the site. Um, David obviously became the editor, uh, taking Mark's job. And then they were hiring a deputy editor. And I think if I hadn't had that experience with, with StatZone, which I had in the previous 12 months, then it, I probably wouldn't have got a look in. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to do what I'm doing and, and the timing of it especially. So, so that's my... Uh, yeah, that's my, that's my background anyway. So what's it like working full-time FPL? Has it impacted your enjoyment of the game? How is it before <laughs> and after? Yeah, I I think my checkered career, as, as my season has really short, uh, it's been in sort of stages of, of what kind of manager I've been. I think back in the day, I mean, I go back even further than that. 2002, I think, is when I started playing hmm. FPL and it's, and it's current guys. Of course, the um, the records only start from 2006. But it was I would never I was never a casual. It's always meant something to me. It's always hurt when I've benched Gail Clichy for a fifteen pointer or um, you know, I've got Graham Alexander in for a twenty one pointer. But it's I was always more uh, I would say a bit rec- more reckless and, and less concerned about overall rank. It was always mini leagues. It was always mini leagues first, always the cash leagues, which of course is no longer a thing, uh, officially. <laughs> and um and then I think gradually I think maybe with the with the rise of analytics 
uh, scout producing the, the members area. I, I did become more invested in the stats side of things, and I am I am now very much a, a, a not see a fair hands, but a very very um, boring uh, dullard manager. You know, I don't I don't make I don't take hits very often for starters. So that's yeah, that's my sort of background in FPL. I did it even when I was a kid. I used to run my own leagues when I was. 11, 12 year old. So I think I was always destined to do this one way or the other. That's um, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I think I've put up some tweets uh, a couple of years ago on, on the league I used to run. So I'll try and retweet that later today. But yeah, in terms of the job, how it impacts, I think it's, I probably spend less time now um, thinking about my own team in terms of dedicated time looking at my own team. But of course, by, you know, osmosis, I'm absorbing. 60 hours a week of, of when I'm working of information. You know, I'm looking at your articles, I'm looking at scout notes and, and writing the team news. So obviously that information is sinking in, even if I'm not sat down at my laptop looking at my own team uh, as much as I used to. Um, so I think it does it does maybe make it less of a hobby. And, and obviously, it's, obviously it is my job now. And I, I probably get less, less of a thrill out of it perhaps, but... Um, it is what it is. I'm, you know, like I say, I'm really lucky to do what I do, and uh, um, yeah, by by one way or the other, I am obviously absorbing information, even if I'm not, you know, sat down on a Friday night as often, spending seven hours looking at the members area. <laughs> so speaking of Fridays, what are those Fridays like for you, especially like yeah. last week when there are 15 to 16 pressers on the same day? So do you tune into these live as much as you can, or do you rely on the transcripts? Yeah, as much as we can, we, we, we watch live. It's mostly me who's doing it. On, on a really busy day, we'll, we'll, David will chip in as well. But um, a lot of clubs show them live, or certainly a handful of them. Uh, Liverpool, Everton, uh, Chelsea do. Palace, if you sign up to their site. I think there's a few others. Um, and then a lot of them will have them out later on, either on YouTube officially through their site or through, you've probably seen the accounts, Beanie Man Sports, uh, Haters TV. So most of them are on there now. I think Billich is the only exception. Uh, and where, where possible, I'll watch every single one. The good thing about the, the transcripts is that um, if I get them before I've seen the press conference, I can fast forward to the relevant parts. I mean, mm. Bielsa's was, a, was a, a great one last week. It was an hour long. And I'm, I was never going to watch that in its entirety. But thankfully, somebody at, at Leeds Live transcribed the whole thing. Bless them. And uh, I, could, I could go to the point where I was discussing Hernandez's injury, for example. Um, and then watch it later on for the exact quote because I think exact exact quotes are important. We've seen that before. Obviously, journalists if they're transcribing live, then it's hard. You know, you, you can have the best shorthand in the world, um, but you're going to make a mistake about the odd word. And, and wording is very very key, especially when you're talking about flags and injuries, um, and whether a, clo- a, a player might be fit or whether he is fit. You know, there's a lot of, sort of a big difference, big difference. there. So, yeah. So, so you write a lot of articles and mainly as a provider of information, not opinion. Is something that LR and I also do. So, is it? Do you find it difficult to be neutral at times? Do you want to give opinion as well as just like you know facts? Yeah, I think. Well, I think maybe it's less about being neutral because, like, even with my best intentions of being impartial, it's very, very hard not to construct a narrative about what you're writing. You know, if I, if I'm writing scout notes, I might still be in the third person. I might be writing in house style. Um, but I've still cherry-picked stats and things I've seen um, in person to write about. So it, I suppose, in a way, it's still subjective opinion. Um, but, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I think my view is of what my job is, is 
because I'm a better writer than I am fantasy manager, I think <laughs> no one would deny that. Um, my aim is to present people with as much information as they possibly can, and then they can make a decision. And we leave this, the strategy and the, the bigger calls to better managers. That's basically what me and David do. Like, we, like yourselves being prime examples, because uh, you've got more clout behind you, you've got the records to back it up. Quite rightly, if someone, you know, if I put up an article saying, um, uh, here's when to play a wild card this week, uh, this season, then people would go, well, you know, what gives you the right to do that? And I think, obviously, I'm a, I'm a decent manager, you know, I'm, I'm always up there in the mini leagues, but I'm not quite that that A-lister. So um, I think it's a I think it's a nice balance of what we do. And I think that's, that's a really good thing of getting people like yourselves on board because um, whereas Mark could do both back in the day, he was an excellent manager and an excellent writer as well. I do think it's it's important that we hear from um, not just better managers, but different voices as well, different approaches. There's not no one FPL manager is the same. Yourselves being the prime example, I mean, you've got two very different approaches. So, um, yeah, I'm quite happy doing doing this sort of uh, analytical work, the, the FPL theorist rather than the, rather than the strategist. You're doing yourself your record a big disservice. I think you have a very good record also. So <laughs> I don't think that is a difference at all. So, Alar, sorry, you were saying something? Yeah, I just have a question for Neil. I mean, you do the team news section for FFS now. That's a high-pressure job, considering the amount of exposure and draws and how you get picked for making the wrong calls. Uh, yeah. What, what, what's the process in terms of how you're making those really difficult calls, especially for teams like Man City, where we don't really know uh, what's going to happen? Yeah. Do, you, do you tend to go to forums, or it's always the best-case scenario? Yeah, it's, it's very rarely my gut instinct. I try and, and use that as, as least as possible. It's always based on previous lineups and similar matches. Uh, you need a good example of Man City. I mean, that is the hardest to call. But for example, um, last season it became apparent that De Bruyne was playing in an advanced number 10, almost as a second striker, in the tougher games away from home when he would go with a double pivot of, say, Rodri and Fernandinho or Rodri and Gundogan. So stuff like that, you can... You, you learn over time, I think, with the more you're in the job, the more you spot these things. Forums are a big part of it. Obviously, I'm... I'm by my own admission, I'm not. I don't know what Slavin Bilic is thinking on every given week. So I will. I will go to West Brom forums. Um, I will look at um, minutes played in in Europe. I'll look at minutes played in over the national break as we did last week. Um, I will look at match ratings as well from the previous match reports and match ratings from previous weeks, so I can pinpoint if I haven't seen the match all the way through. And I, I watch probably sort of five, six, seven games live every week of the ones that I haven't. And I can see which players will hold, hold off early or performing badly at risk of rotation. People will say in my in my team news um, entries that the predicted lineups is one thing. I think they're more for you know if you if you're just in for a quick quick look at who might line up. But the, the blurbs are right. Are probably where it's at for for the more um, experienced manager because I sort of highlight where things could happen, where players might get dropped, even if I put them in my predicted eleven. So, for example, Wolves, I would have said Jimenez is, you know, he's a definite starter. Um, perhaps not over Christmas, like you may get benched once, but most weeks, absolutely sure start. Same with Bolly. Um, whereas you could say there might be a change at left wing back with Ike Nori and, and um, Marcel. It's kind of covering my behind a bit, but it's also, it's it's the truth. You know, I, I'm trying to stress that I'm not in the know. Um, it's, it's just pinpointing where there is a bit of rotation risk. Because uh, predicted lineups themselves don't really tell the full story. There is, there is, has to be an acknowledgement that you, you can't foresee what the manager is going to do. So we, there was a bit of a. Um, I'm, I'm going to blow me on trumpet here, but there was a there was a guy who was compiling the, um, a lot of team news uh, entries and 
Um, he went for different sources and that. And fantasy football scouts was the most accurate for the first eight game weeks of the season. So I was very chuffed about that. There was a tiny amount in it, but I'm taking that. I mean, it, statistically, probably insignificant. But thankfully, he stopped doing it after game week eight. So I'm chuffed that I was, I was at the top of that. So <laughs> I'm taking that. I'll put that on my CV. Definitely, you should. So what is the best thing about the job and what is the biggest challenge you face? Um, best thing is, is, is obviously, uh, is, is what I always wanted to do, write about football. I think I was never going to go down the, the hard-hitting journalist route, like sort of David Ornstein's and that, because I just probably haven't got it in me. Um, but FPL is, is one thing I can talk about at length for hours, as my uh, long-suffering other half will, will attest. Um, I think the downsides is, is just that. I think it's, it does impact on your family life a bit. It's, it's a long, the hours are long. You're giving up your weekends, or at least part of the weekends, um, and there's obviously a bit of a trade-off between what you want to do and, and obviously having a having a healthy family life. Um, but you know, I can't complain. I feel like I'm complaining. You know, there's people out there without jobs and are doing something they don't like. So I'm I'm very very lucky, and of course, no job's going to be perfect. I think maybe from a writing point of view you mentioned earlier about wanting to write more uh subjective pieces but i think some yeah sometimes because of the nature of a job and it is a job you're writing about stuff you maybe don't want to write about or you happen to do certain things for for the company and maybe not writing um having enough time to write about things you would like and more statistical analysis or sort of positional analysis uh, just because of the time pressures of the job but really really minor minor complaints and and it's you know it's you know i'm one of the very very fortunate ones to to be doing what I'm doing for a living. Mm. So how do you think FPL has changed now over the years that you've been playing? Funnily enough, I was talking to um, a guy uh, who was doing a, writing a feature for um, The Athletic next week about uh, about the right explosion in FPL over the past few years. Exactly. I, I said to him then that it, it's essentially the same game as it ever was. You know, it's, it's the same as it was in 2002. The core principles, goals, assists, clean sheets, a bonus of changing, yeah, of, of various uh, types. Um, it's just the the community around that and the the noise around that that's increased. Um, the Premier League has has got behind it massively now. Um, they're promoting it a lot more, so I think it's it's obviously the popularity has exploded, and I think people are viewing it as a, as a viable career route now. You've seen a lot of people. Um, not necessarily through writing per se, because there's a limited number of jobs like that, but certainly social media, launching social media accounts, whether it be on YouTube or, uh, or Patreon or, or whatever. Um, because, yeah, and it's, it's kind of like the equivalent of, of fashion vlogging or something like that. You know, it's become a, a, a viable thing to do now. And people will think that's a bad thing because it's, you know, it's it, time was when it was just something you'd do on, as, a, as a side thought on a Saturday afternoon. There was... It was a bit of a hobby. It was almost like having like a small bet or something on the on the weekend. But it's it's very very serious now, isn't it? It's a very very serious thing. It's lost a, maybe lost a bit of a a bit of the um, lightheartedness about it. People people get very very serious about it um, to the point of being aggressive, perhaps <laughs> online. But um, yeah, that that's that's just the, the way it is. You know, it's 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 hugely popular now and. Um, it isn't the the cult niche pastime it was when it first started. When there was like seventy five thousand players playing, so it's big, big money, big business now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and all these years, can you just pick me your top three assets, nostalgia picks? Playing <laughs> uh, too. That's a lot of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. If you go back that way, you, you would you'll 
find Henri. I was really glad we did a, a World Cup of FPL in the summer, and um, which was like a, people voting on the favourite FPL assets of all time. And I was glad to see Henri made it a really uh, long run that competition. I think he got the semi-finals of that. And new the new intake of FPL manager I won't remember Henri as a as a fantasy manager, but he was he was lethal um, back in the day. I think there's one season where he had 24 goals or 25 assists, something like that. It was around about 50. Yeah. Yeah, fifty attack returns, roughly, um, and he was he was goldless back then. So I've got fond memories of him. Uh, Lampard, you'd have to you'd have to you'd, you know you, you can't look past him. I think he won that World Cup FBL we did, and he was just a consistent returner for the best part of a decade. Um, but I'll mention the name. I mentioned a name I've already uh, name checked in this podcast already, and that's Graham Alexander. He's, he's I've embellished his <laughs> legacy over the years. He's, he actually didn't have that good a season. He only had about three clean sheets. But he was a penalty-taking budget defender, and I remember having him in for, for his 21-pointer. And for some reason, I don't know why, that just I think because he was a differential at the time and none of my mini-league mates had him in. And he just sticks in my memory 10 years on, um, even over Lundstrom last season. Um, so I, th- I think it's maybe more the differentials that, and the, yeah. the, the cult figure, the one-season wonders I've sticking in mind, more than the long-serving players like Rooney, and Lampard, I think, you know, the Amichus, who I had in from the off as well, from Game Week 1, for memories of him, Dempsey. I think it's these players who who make FPL rather than the, the heavy hitters. I was, I was hoping to hear Rand Taylor's name being a Newcastle fan. <laughs> <laughs> I think being a pessimistic Newcastle fan, I think I didn't own him that much, even during that season where he was he was doing a bit. I mean, of course, he was at Wigan before that as well. Yeah, free kick, free kick specialist. Uh, long range, long range shooter. Yeah, he was. He was um, a good pick. But my, as I say, my inherent uh, pessimism about Newcastle means I probably didn't own him for much of that season. So, getting to now to your core FPL style, you work a lot with stats. Which particular stats do you like for attacking players and also for defensive players and teams? Attacking. Sorry, sorry, uh, And I said and, yeah, te- ta- and, and teams also. Like you know, both yeah. which team, which metrics do you look for? So attacking players, probably no surprises here. Um, uh, big chances and, and penalty box touches, probably an XG, probably my, my top three. Shots on shots in the box, still important, but maybe less so. I mean, I'll give you I'll give you Mitrovic as a as a horrible example of what I've suffered, because he'll score highly on on um, shots in the box and shots on target. But a lot, if you watch him, a lot of his his efforts are just aimless looping headers that end up in a goalkeeper's arms. Don't cause any problem whatsoever. Um, and that's where he, yeah, he, he looks better on paper than he does in real life. Um, what I do look for, and probably an underestimated and underused stat, um, certainly I would admit this on our site as well in terms of what we write about, is, is goal conversion rate. So that is, is massively important. And what something I'm increasingly looking at, um, Mitrovic, again, I'll use him as an example. I knew about this scene before I picked him at the start of the season, and I still did it. He had a, he had a, Awful goal conversion rate the last day he was in the Premier League. His record in the Championship was was sub 20%, which is if you're in the second tier of English football and it's below that, I think you're going to, well, Bamford's an exception, but you, you're going to struggle when you make the step up. And his goal conversion rate is, again, abysmal this season. Whereas you look at Vardy, you look at um, Aubameyang was traditionally uh, had a high conversion rate. Um, they need less than half the chances that Amitrovic does or a Mopai does 
to to rack up the goals. So I think that's and if it's a consistent conversion rate as well, Vardy's had a, a conversion rate above twenty percent for I think four or five years. So you know it is sustainable. It's not a freak occurrence. Um, and hence why he is known as a stat buster, even though he's, you know, he's he's a he's a consistent performer as anybody in the top flight in terms of actually putting the ball in the back of the net. I'm very um, happy so yeah, that's, that's... to mention Mark Badder. Very happy. <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've I've been lulled into him before on on a few occasions, and you know, realise I've made a mistake very soon. But yeah, defenses uh, again, probably obvious ones. Shots in the box um, because I think that is I think that is relevant for defenses. Uh, big chances conceded, the main one. I also look at um, goalkeepers. So not just what the defences are doing, but their expected goals prevented tallies, I think, is very important. I think you'll, I'll use the example of Chelsea from last season. Statistically, one of the best defences in the in the division. You know, like they were, they were top five for a lot of the metrics, like like big chances conceded, shots in the box conceded. But they had Kepler between the posts, and he, he was, I think he was the worst keeper in Europe for, for XGP. I mean, of course, it's obvious when just by watching the games, but um, <laughs> uh, no offence to, to him, but uh, the stats do do actually back that up. Um, and I do look for that uh, because you saw, yeah, you saw Henderson last season, Sheffield United's defence wasn't actually that good in terms of conceding chances. He had a, a fantastic goal prevention rate. Ramsdale, obviously less so this season, and they're clean sheetless. So uh, goalkeeper stats are as important as the as the overall defensive numbers as well, I think. And yeah, that's coming into play actually this season with Johnson because uh, yeah. West Brom, we're going to talk about them later. They're conceding a lot of chances, but the keeper is saving so many of them. Absolutely. So you yeah. mentioned that your Prince FPL style, you're primarily a dullard at heart. So what has worked for you in the past and what are the areas where you'd like to improve? Um, yeah, it's hard to say because I, I do preach patience generally, um, but, you've, but you've still got to know when to jump off players. So I think patience is, is a virtue when we're talking about um, the tried and tested uh, big hitters for me. I know there's different approaches, um, but for me, if I've highlighted a, a sequence of fixtures for a certain player, for example, Sun at the start of the season, I had him from game eight one. So I knew Spurs were top of the season ticket. I knew he was a proven performer. Um, I was going to give him an eight stretch of games, nine long stretch of games, no matter what, I think. Obviously, stuff can happen in the early, early stages of the season, but I'd seen enough under Mourinho, I'd seen enough of his stats, I'd seen enough of how he plays with Kane to make a, a call on keeping him for that length of time. And of course, he, he blanked in game week one. Um, a lot of people sold him. And then he, he, we saw what he did in game week two. So, yes, calls can go the other way. Um, but generally, when when the time to jump off is, is, is probably Mitrovic and, and Werner, to my, to my expense... I mean, Werner's come good now, but um, Mitrovic isn't a proven performer in the Premier League. Werner wasn't a proven performer in the Premier League. And I, I've i got to know, going forward, I've got to know when to differentiate and when to jump off. Um, because there was nothing to suggest Mitrovic was going to come good. You know, we've seen it in 2018-19. He, he, he had a good start of the season, but his conversion rate was was pretty poor. And I don't know why I thought it was, it was going to be any different this time around. I think maybe because of the penalties thing and maybe because of... Their fixtures were decent at the start fixtures, of the season as well. Yeah, yeah the fixtures were good. Yeah, I think they were top of our ticket for like, the first day of gaming. So that was one of the reasons. But um, yeah, I, I, as you say, I, I think I'm. I remember listening to Tom Freeman, who's who's I really like. He's excellent. He's, he's been on your, your, your podcast, um, and his approach is, is probably the, the closest to mine, I think. And that I I 
very rarely do early transfers to the detriment of my own team value. And I'll try and wait for as much information as possible, everything I can possibly get, press conferences, what's happened in Europe in midweek, um, to give me a chance to sit down and look at the stats after a busy week of work and actually just just try and absorb information. So I'm always, a, I'm nearly always, nine times out of 10, a late Friday night transferer. Mm. As you'll see in my team value, it, it's, it, it does come up with, with a cost, uh, quite literally. But yeah, that's my that's my approach. And I think the things I have to improve on, I mentioned one there about no one to jump off players, is the sort of psychological aspect. Because I I am, as I said earlier, I think I'm pretty good uh, theorist. You know, I can pinpoint, I can look at matches and I can, I can pick out players who... It might perform well in in coming weeks, and then and then, but when it comes to actually applying that into my own team, I'm just I just capitulate. I'm I'm such a weak-minded person. <laughs> like I, I will, I'm trying to block out the noise, but it's it's very hard. It's not just the noise, but the ownership figures as well. That's maybe something else I need to to stop looking at, um, because Mitrovic and Werner were, I think, maybe subconsciously partly chosen because they had such astronomical ownership figures at the beginning of the season. And I was thinking, well, if I if I have them, at least I'm not falling behind from the off. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I think I think that is something I have to work on this, the the mental aspect of the game because the more successful ones, successful FPL managers, they'll all have got different approaches. But the one thing they have in common is is a a resolve that their method is the best way, or their their sort of strategy is the best way, and they stick to that. I, I can and, relate uh, with your late transfer approach. I think it's definitely the right way to do things this season. Certainly this season. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean. Zaha news came out of nowhere. I mean, there was just somebody who predicted on the Crystal Palace forum that maybe there was something. So you just have to wait as late as possible to make your transfers. Yes. Yeah. And also when you know so many things that can go wrong, since you follow all that stuff, it's natural to expect things to go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, yeah. So I think you had mentioned that you were thinking of wildcarding. We'll get to that right at the end when we discuss your team. But thanks okay. for that. That was a lot of fun. We should yeah. now move on to the discussion of our hot topics, starting with the top five premium assets. Now, if you were to wildcard deal, who, who are the top three, four premium assets? <laughs> Look, we're talking only about attackers here, and yeah. uh, 9.5 million plus is what we're looking to follow. So at the moment, in my first draft, and it's it's by far from certain that I am pulling the trigger, as we'll discuss later on, uh, I've got De Bruyne in there. I've got uh, Vardy in there, and I've got at the moment Fernandez, um, but I'm increasingly thinking of of fitting Salah back straight back in after getting rid of him last week for Fernandez. Um, so yeah, I think um, as we're about to discuss, it is I've I've not struggled with this conundrum for as much for a long, long time. It's so difficult. I think Game Week Nine was like the worst thing. That could have happened to me in terms of my game week ten wildcard because I'm doubting it now whether it's the right thing to do. We've not seen anything from City yet uh, to suggest they're worth dismantling the team for. But that's that's fantasy management. You, you've got to know when when things are going to turn. You've got to anticipate when they are going to hit hit the streak. That is FPL in a nutshell. Getting on them early. Um, so I'm 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 loath to go overboard on City, but I do think one representative from their team is just yeah. I wouldn't say you have to have it. But I mean, the next the next four um, at home are, are Burnley, Fulham, West Brom, and Newcastle. I, I, there isn't. I don't think. I mean, you could maybe put Sheffield United in there, but I think there's not a better a better run of fixtures than that. And even if they are off the usual levels, then they're going to rack up two or three nil wins in those games comfortably. Um, and De Bruyne, while he's not again, he's not hitting the levels as he was last season. But I think he's he's. Um, 
been deployed in a slightly different role. I think it's been such a, a disjointed start of the season for City. They've been without a strike after a few game weeks. They've had De Bruyne playing uh, as a number 10 quite often. And I think you'll see that in his stats. He's, his stats are down, generally down from last year in terms of creativity, but his shots oh, his shots God. in the box are all up. Yeah. Um, so I think he, he is the one I'm going for. And I think when they're playing these kind of opposition as well, I think they'll go back maybe towards that 4-3-3. De Bruyne more so on the right of midfield. I think his chance creation will increase off the back of that. Um, and I, I'm thinking, my logic behind this is, is that they haven't been creating as, as many big chances, perhaps because they haven't had um, a bona fide striker for a, certain, a, a few of the games. Because I think big chance creation is as much about off the ball movement as it is about the pass itself. You know, it's like if you haven't got a, um, an orthodox striker up there making those movements, then maybe there's no one on the end of De Bruyne's wicked deliveries. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt they're not hitting the levels of last season. Guardiola said that himself, but he's the one I'm looking at um, from City at the moment. I, I, I'm not going to do a double up, certainly. Um, and then Vardy, again, for the fixtures. Brilliant next four, including Everton. Everton, whose defence is still a, a bit of a mess. Um, and then the, the, the one I think I'll probably pass over to you for is, is, is Fernandes v, v Salah. And I think um, having seen Liverpool dismantle Leicester at the weekend and still had to come back into that team and how he normally does over Christmas, he's usually an excellent performer in December, mm. uh, then I'm increasingly looking towards getting back in, in for Fernandes, I think. So let's have your rank at the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. How would you rank your top five heavy hitters? Uh, right, okay. So based on my selections and my wildcard, I think I'll go... Um, yeah, it depends how long you look in terms of fixture look ahead. I'll, I'll say De Bruyne, Vardy, um, Salah. So De Bruyne, Salah, Vardy. And then four or five. I mean, <laughs> Son, maybe. I think I probably should Son fourth ahead of Kane. I think um, we saw at the weekend what, what's going to happen in these in these games where Tottenham are going to counter-attack, where Son's going to be the more advanced and Kane's going to drop deep. Kane didn't have a shot on at the weekend. Um and then maybe Fernandez five, and and I've omitted Kane from that five, which is, which is hard to do. But that, I'm just looking at the, the fixtures ahead and what he and how he's likely to play. And it's about making those calls, about when you think things are going to turn, and it's hard because you know that if you get it wrong, then you're going to be punished. Absolutely, absolutely. So that's fair. Now, LR, you go first. Uh, so I'm. I mean, I saw uh, highlights of the Liverpool game, and I saw Brighton play against Aston Villa. I feel like if uh, Salah is getting 30-odd minutes uh, midweek, I think he's one of the best captaincy options for the weekend if he's looking at sharp and if, he, if COVID hasn't affected his fitness at all. So he's number one for me at the moment because it seems like City have had a little downturn in form. So Liverpool naturally are the team you trust the most when it comes to attack. So he's number one for me, nailed on on penalties. Number two, uh, it has to be one of the City boys. Now, I, I, I do a little bit of cheating and have a little bit of character, right? At the moment, it's uh, De Bruyne. But I do like the fact that Sterling's uh, not played any international games and he played just 20 minutes. Uh, so, he's fairly well rested. So, and with Sterling, you need to watch him for 30, 40, 50 minutes uh, to judge whether he's on it or not. Because he just takes that extra two seconds if he's uh, not naturally in form or feeling confident. So, I'd say judge the game. Uh, Champions League game at the weekend. I'm expecting him to start. I'm expecting him to play both the home games. And if you feel like he's uh, on it, uh, go for Sterling because I still am in the mind frame that when it comes to captaincy, I trust captaining a Sterling more than I trust captaining a De Bruyne because I feel like Sterling's returns are more predictable and explosive. 
So uh, based on form, one city met at number two, just based on what I mentioned. And number three is really tough. It, it's a form versus fixture debate when it comes to Vardy versus Werner versus Kane. Uh, now the the answer I'm going to give is going to make you really happy because I at the moment I trust the Chelsea attack more than I trust the Spurs attack or I trust the uh, Leicester attack. And despite Vardy having the fixtures, I feel like Werner is going to match him. So if you're going to select that striker position for the midterm, maybe seven, eight, nine game weeks, let's take Werner in there because he's still on penalties. He's not. I think Chelsea also kind of team that's going to win a lot of penalties. If he's gotten the two penalties that. Rogino got a few weeks ago against Crystal Palace. Everybody would be talking about Werner, uh, and he's been matching Kane for the past few weeks. So uh, it's very it's splitting hairs between Kane and Werner for me at number three and four, and number five will be Wadi for me. I don't really like uh, Fernandez as much as a pick because I don't trust their attack at the moment. I don't think the next few fixtures are really easy for us. Uh, I just have some stats as well uh, when it comes to the non-penalty xG plus xA per ninety minutes. This season, Kane is at number one, Mane is at number two, Fernandez is 27th in the league, 0.48. So all of his returns right now primarily are coming for penalties, and uh, I mean that is something it's been sustaining when it comes to United for a long time. But uh, I just don't know if the fixtures are good enough for us. Sterling at the moment is 40th in the league at 0.40. The the only caveat uh, we're going to be talking about Liverpool later, but uh, you know if you're not jumping on a Diego Jota because you don't think he's nailed enough. Then Sadio Mane would be in my top three because I trust the Liverpool attack more than I trust the other attacks at the moment. So at the cost of Timo or Kane or Wadi, I'd have Mane at number three. But because we have an option like Diego Jota uh, in the ecosystem at the moment, uh, I'm going with Werner at the moment. But I, I might get convinced to uh, you know put Kane in there and drop Werner instead because actually I've looked at the next three fixtures for Spurs. Now I don't know if uh, I mean Chelsea. Yes, it, it seems that. Uh, Spurs are going to be playing on the counter, but the Arsenal home game and the Crystal Palace game—they they look like more Kane games to me. Uh, where uh, yeah. I do expect uh, Spurs to keep a fair amount of the ball, so I, I don't think dropping Kane uh, is a is is a really good move at the moment. I was dead set on keeping Werner and uh, selling Kane for the moves I'm going to talk about later, but I'm really thinking about keeping Kane instead and dropping Werner because I like the Arsenal home fixture and the Crystal Palace fixture. Okay. Mm. Where are, you, where are you at with the pre masses? So, I think Salah and KDB, number one and two, there's no real explanation needed. Now, this is after that is where it gets trickier. So, essentially, you have to pick three of Fernandez, Vadi, Kane, Sun, or Werner. So, I would say Kane and Sun are delivering consistently. So, I would actually back Sun here, like for the reasons you said, and this is what I said on previous podcasts also. I expect him to benefit and being able to play on the counter attack. So, I would go Sun as number three, also because he's cheaper. Then, like, but you know, but he, do you think the Arsenal game and the Crystal Palace are going to be counter-attack games for Spurs? It depends how Arteta... The Palace game, probably not. The Palace game is probably going to be a deep block again. The Wolves game might also be a deep block again. But then you have Chelsea, who we probably play... We press from the front a lot, so they're going to be spaces to counter-attack. But I think his price is... Now you have to look at this. He's almost 3 million cheaper than Salah. That has to be taken into account, right? It's not like that much... The three million can buy you a lot. It's just a difference between, let's say, like you know, Watkins and Avona almost. So Sun would probably be over there now. For the fourth one, which was between Bruno and Vardy for me. Now Bruno has more routes to points than Vardy does, but the fixtures are tough. Like you said, there's Southampton, West Ham, and Man City in the next three. Vardy has Fulham, Sheffield United, Brighton. So purely on that basis, I'd say Vardy. 
So, and then like for the fifth one is between Kane or Bruno. So, like you said, Kane had zero shots against Man City, but I expect him to have more against Arsenal, Palace, teams like that. So, I'd go Kane for number five. And neither of y'all would be looking at Sadio Mane, seriously. Probably because of the Jota thing, like what you just said. Okay, that's the only reason. Otherwise, he'd be in uh, the conversation for you. I think so, definitely. For you, Neil, as well? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm still hesitant. I mean, Jota at six point six is, it almost looks like the forwarding of of game week one. You know, we think this is too good to be true, and even if he gets benched, he'll still he can still do some damage. A forward hasn't really panned out that way, but um, I think given the dearth of, of central midfield options as well, and, and the, the winnable fixtures coming up, uh, Fabinho is going to be needed at centre half for a long time. Um, Henderson, we don't know how long that is. I think it, it, it doesn't sound too good at the moment about when he's going to be back. So I think as much as anything else to, to circumvent the lack of central midfielders, there's going to be a lot more of that 4-2-3-1 played. Um, and I can see Jota getting a lot of a lot of game time over Christmas. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think given that what's that, like nearly five and a half million saving on Mane, um, it's pretty significant. And there was a, even before this new formation came into play, there was there was widespread talk of whether he would oust Firmino from that, you know, that sort of central role anyway. Um, so yeah, I, I he's actually in my wildcard team at the moment. I'm still not convinced I'm I'm going there. Um, but he's he's yeah he's um he's, his stats as we discussed in it are are as are better than yeah. than Manny's I think at the moment. So yeah, I I think for that reason you look at you look at. It's not just about the players themselves, but coverage from the clubs and who else can can cover those fixtures uh, and make a substantial saving as well. Absolutely. Uh, because I'd like to have two Liverpool attackers because for the next for the midterm for the next ten, twelve, thirteen fixtures, Liverpool have actually a great run of fixtures. You know, yeah, so they do. In the midterms, they seem like good set and forget options. So yeah, we'll we'll move on to our uh, next topic in terms of the defenses to target. Neil, we'll push this question to you first. Uh, which defenses do you like? Your captain or your attackers playing against at the moment. It's not as quite not quite as clear as it was last season. No, they uh, yeah I think as you intimated there they've all kind of improved a bit from the early weeks of the season. I mean, the signings Fulham and West Brom have made they're not by any stretch you know um, the new Wolves or anything like that, but they've definitely uh, reinforced at the back. Ivanovic has made a big difference to, to West Brom. They've got a competent keeper between the posts as well as you discussed. Fulham even they have improved I think. With Anderson and um, Adarab Bio at the heart of the defence, they made full-back reinforcements as well. I think, yes, there was a bit of a capitulation at the weekend, but they were missing um, Zambo and Grisa from, from midfield from, from the start of that game. I think he, he makes a, a significant difference. I mean, they are still teams you target. There's no escape in that fact. It's just they're not quite as, as porous as it, they were at the start of the season. Um, would, you, would you put your team in there? <laughs> Well, we'll discuss Newcastle quite in, in depth later in, in, in this pod, but I I wouldn't put them high up as as maybe the other ones I've discussed. Um, Bruce is kind of caught between two mindsets. He's, he's desperately trying to get away from the Rafa approach, which was five at the back, and he's, he wants to put his own stamp on his team and make us more attacking. But it just it just doesn't work. I mean, it, he said himself that the players just can't, aren't capable of playing in that system, the back four without leaving gaping holes at the back. Um, and we've seen a switch back to a back five uh, as of game week six. 
we were back in that wing back system now. So I think we've we have stiffened um, at the back. I think the last four game weeks were there's only two clubs conceded fewer big chances, and we've played the likes of Chelsea, Everton, um, Southampton. You know, high flying teams, all top half teams in that time. So I don't think we're, we're that bad. Yes, we haven't come, kept a clean sheet since since game week one, but um, I still think we're capable of, of making life difficult for teams. Um, and racking up, say, eight or nine clean sheets a season. Um, so maybe I'd put us in the, in the sort of Division 2 of the of the Whitman Boys uh, League. Mm. Um, Sheffield United, similarly, again, clean sheetless all season, but rarely, rarely hammered. They're, they're not that far away. They've, they've had a lo- a loads of injury problems at the back. Um, they've got an inferior keeper, I will say that now, so that, that does make a difference, I think. Um, yeah, I... I there are, there aren't really standout, um, porous defences. I would say, I still think Fulham and Fulham and West Brom are capable of conceding. Fulham especially, I think, capable of conceding two or three in any game. But um, we saw at the start of the season when there was, there was five fives and fours flying in. I think they have they have improved slightly. Everton's you could give a shout to Everton's at the moment, uh, who are awful. Really, at the moment, no matter what system they try, they've got a dodgy keeper between the posts. Unfortunately, Pickford, um, uh, Ancelotti tried a three-five-two at the weekend, or a, sorry, a wing-back system. I think is three-four-three as much to incorporate or try and get the best out of Rodriguez as it was to, to show up with the back. I think he's less concerned about that. Yeah, um, they, they looked leakier in defence. I thought after that. Switch. Yeah, I think they've not. They've not. They've, Ancelotti's policy of rotating centre halves, which he's done from. The moment he came in, he was always trying to give. Um, it was Holgate was the mainstay, and then it was Mina and Keane rotating around him. That can't help. You know, you need you need sort of stability there at the back. I think. Um, Coleman's not what he was. I don't think he's in. His, I think he's in his thirties now, and probably a fading force. I know he did have a bit of a renaissance towards the end of last season, but um, and I don't think. I mean, Alan is sort of tough tackling, but he's he's not he's not the sort of. Um, he's a different player, you know. He's sort of play ball. He's more home, I think. On he'd be more home in the, the right of that midfield three, with a with a someone like a Delft maybe behind him. So I think they've got their serious problems at the back, and that's why I'm looking at Vardy as, as a four week punt rather than a three week because they've got Everton in um, in game week thirteen. Absolutely. Oh, your thoughts? So I think so, so I think we are in the agreement about Fulham. I think they are the leakiest team. I think we're the five other team target. But I also, when I look at whipping bars, I also look at the fixtures to target for my defence. I think they're less so than West Brom. I think Fulham are more capable of scoring than, say, West Brom are. So, West Brom are giving up a lot of chances, but I think it's their goalkeeper, really, who's been bailing them out as much as Ivanovic. I think Johnston, even against Saints, he had seven, eight saves this game. So, that's really the main difference that's really keeping them from becoming whipping boys. So, the day that Johnston has a bad game, I think they can be hit for five or six. So then Sheffield, obviously, like you see on the table here, they're the worst for the XG conceded non-penalty over the last four weeks. 8.3. That's significantly worse than second place Leicester, who are 6.95. So Sheffield definitely. But the problem with Sheffield is, right, like I think J.O. had mentioned this on the previous pod, even once they concede, they don't really commit too many men forward after conceding. So they rarely concede more than one or two. So and then after that, you have Burnley, who are unlikely, like, you know, to give up a lot of chances but you can still count them getting beaten like 2-0 and it's a good fixture to play a defender against always 
is one. And then I would say Newcastle, I'm sorry about that, but I think Newcastle give up a lot of chances, but like you said, they're not big chances. Like even against Chelsea, like you know, it could that could have been four or five if Werner that day, like you know, was clinical. It could have been a much bigger scoreline. Yeah, for for me, this whole uh, uh, thing is a little bit subjective as well. I mean, straight up, like you mentioned in Division One of the Whipping Boys, I put uh, Fulham and Newcastle out there because uh, we'll talk about Newcastle a little later. But I feel like they're just not playing; they're just parking at the moment, and they're incapable of getting anything done. So when you're captaining a player, you're Normally, going to captain the premium guys, the 9.5 million plus guys that we spoke about, and I feel like these uh, good teams are going to be able to play against teams like Newcastle and take advantage and score three plus goals. Now, there, there are a few teams that it's sort of subjective. Like I mentioned, you know, in the past few pods, I wouldn't really like Spurs against a team like Sheffield United or mm. Burnley because uh, they're more suited to play on the counter. I don't know how attacking they will be against these teams that far. But I did mention to you, you know, that I was pretty confident about. Uh, uh, owning Werner against a team like Sheffield United or Burnley because I feel like there's enough creativity in a team like Chelsea which can take advantage, uh, play around and create chances against resolute defences. When it comes to team like Spurs, I would uh, li- you know like them playing against teams like Leeds, uh, you know where they're going to leave leave a lot of gaps uh, open uh, for Spurs to play on the counter. So it's sort of subjective for me. And outside of that, I, I don't mind captaining my player if he's playing Everton at the moment. I see that as a good fixture for my attacker. Uh, even if my attacker is playing against a Leeds United, I see that as a good fixture. And that depends on the kind of team. So I like a Spurs player. I like a Chelsea player against a Leeds, Leeds United defense. I've seen uh, FPL Rhinos. He's one of the more uh, maverick guys on Twitter. He's a Leeds United fan. And what he's been doing the last three or four games, he's getting an attacker and captaining him. Uh, against Leeds. He did that with Vardy. He got him on and it's, it's worked wonders for him. So, it's a bit subject. And, and then one more team I want to talk about is Brighton who Albion. I saw them play against uh, Villa and uh, they weren't really good in de- uh, defence. They leaked a lot of chances. So, I feel like uh, because of the kind of team Brighton are and you know they like to stamp their authority on the game, uh, they are able to uh, uh, get good statistics in defence against teams that are inferior to them. But I feel like teams that are better than them when it comes to a Spurs, when it comes to United, Chelsea, Liverpool, I feel like they're capable of scoring three or four or five goals against them because I don't see Brighton changing the way they play their game against the slightly better teams as well. So I don't mind capping up there against Brighton as well, which is why I'm uh, thinking about uh, you know this weekend and I feel like the guys who are on Salah early, they're going to be, going to be benefiting because it looks like the standout captaincy pick for me this weekend. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point there, Pranil. I think it's it's you've got to look um, where in what games the improvements are being made. So Fulham, for example, have had a decent run of fixtures. So they, it's all it's all it's one thing improving against West Brom's attack, um, and it's another to to take that improvement into an away game. Man, I think Palace were a good example from last season. Everyone thinks Palace are a really secure defensive side. They they kept I think nine clean seats. All of them against I take it all of them against the. The uh, bottom half or clubs ranked 10th or below and they didn't keep a, a single clean sheet in, in matches uh, against the top nine. So it, you have to sort of, as you said there, there are teams that are, are and probably Newcastle are among them, who are capable of of carving out um, uh, stout defensive performances and clean sheets against the, the also rounds, the fellow lower mid-table teams. Burnley perhaps amongst that as well. I think Burnley were, are... Traditionally, you can back them for, for clean sheets against the teams around them, but 
I mean, they went to Man City last season and got beat 5 0. I know that was just after the restart. Um, and they City, have City meet... scored four goals at least in the last three or four games against Bournemouth. Yeah. It was quite a surprising stat. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, these teams that have a lot of creativity, they're able to pick apart, you know, defenses that are a little stubborn. So, yeah. Anything you guys want to add or we can move on nope. to our... I think we can move on about the DCL topic now. Yeah, you had a lot to say about this. So, why don't you start? So, now, Everton, after Leeds play Burnley, Man City, Chelsea, Leicester and Arsenal. So, that's all teams which I would say are pretty competent defensively. So, my initial plan on my wildcard was to get to free up money for Fernandes to Salah was to sell DCL for that run. But now, looking at that formation, especially with Ancelotti played, I think that was just built to get service into DCL. And to be honest, I think he's blanked, I think, just once this season. Maybe I'm overthinking why I need to remove him because I have his stats also up here. He's doing pretty well for stats now. For XG non-penalty, he's ranked the fourth over the last four game weeks. He's getting the shots inside the box. He's getting shots on target. So at a price point of seven and a half odd, I think he's a pretty much stick and forget for the season. If he blanks a couple of games, if Everton score, it seems everything's set up just to get service to him. I agree. I think the only reason I'd maybe think about losing DCL is if he's funding a crucial upgrade in attack for my captaincy. Uh, but outside of that, uh, the only reason I would lose him is if either Richarlison or Hamez or Dinia hmm. got injured. Because we've known that, that they, they only have a first team. They don't have a backup plan. So, if one of the crucial guys in the first team uh, you know, gets injured, then get rid. Otherwise, I, I see no reason to sell up. What yeah. are your thoughts there, Neil? I'm probably the wrong person to ask because I, I think I owned Calvert-Lewin um, when he scored uh, since Ancelotti joined. So, I... I it was my bet noir for the first, uh, I think, nine game weeks of Ancelotti's reign. Avoided him, thinking it wasn't sustainable. He kept doing it. Got him in after the restart when he had a terrible run of form and didn't score. And then haven't owned him at all this season uh, for some reason. I think I've just been fighting fires elsewhere. But I am looking at him on a wild card, belatedly. Maybe it's the wrong time to think about it, as you said. But I look at, at who he's scored against... Um, in the past, since Ancelotti took charge, and he's, he's he scored goals against Arsenal, he scored goals against the, uh, against United, he scored goals against a lot of the top half clubs as well, and um, he's someone who, uh, as you said, is the the focal point of a team's attack. There isn't really a rotation risk around him. He's got he's been benched in one game since Ancelotti took charge, which was game thirty eight when it was a dead rubber, and, and he wanted Moise Keane to have a run out, and. Um, He's he's yeah he's thriving and and as you said that system change at the weekend with Dina as essentially a left winger trying to get Rodriguez's creativity best out of him as well it will be on on the right as well it will be um, had a pretty good game he did yeah it's a shame he's not as a, a listed as an FPL defender because he would have been um, something to look at but uh, yeah I I mean I can me just looking towards him on my wild card despite that if he run tells you much about what I think about him because I think he's I've it's been the it's been the main mistake of my season not owning uh, effectively, um, and the next two for for kickoff yeah Leeds, um, Leeds and uh, who was it they got oh Burnley yeah, um, I've seen Prosper in there and and yes of course I think the attack and returns will potentially dry up beyond that I think that's the argument towards Kane and Son as as well we all know that they're capable of scoring in every game. Um, it's just whether they can be outperformed by players in their in their price point over that stretch. 
and it is possible with that with Everton. And I think you hit the nail on the head there, um, uh, probably like, like it's what you're going to do with that money if you did a downgrade to see Antonio. I really like if he's fit, where you can invest that, especially with um, those premium hitters in midfield uh, clamoring for your attention because you're not likely to captain Calvert Lewin through any of the, any of that run. And so he's not, I don't think he's going to punish you that much if you went without him. So yeah, right. Right. I can see both sides. The ownership is scary, but that's the thing like we discussed earlier, like, yeah. you know, I'm 60%, but like you said, not going to be captain much. So, And somebody like Bamford and Antonio, I think you're spot on, could possibly match him. Yeah. Right. So now we get into your team discussion, Neil. Let's move on to Newcastle. Newcastle are top of the fixture ticker for the next five. You guys play Palace, Villa, West Brom, Leeds and Fulham. It's a nice run of fixtures. So what do you think about the potential in attack and in defence? Um, well, I can see I can, I can hear the sounds of a lot of people turn off their uh, turn off the podcast at, at this second. But yeah, I as I said earlier, I think Bruce is caught between between two mindsets. Um, I think they'll be even worse if there were fans in because I, the criticism at the moment is that we're not attacking enough. Um, but he knows that if we play a four-two-three-one as we did uh, against um, well, like likes of Brighton, uh, we played a four-four-two that game actually. Um, that we're going to get picked apart. So. Whether he, he sticks with that system just in, in spite of the upcoming fixtures and still plays, if he was playing five at the back for the next five, then I'd be more confident about a clean sheet. My worry is, is that he'll, he'll try and take the game to the likes of West Brom and Fulham and go with, it, go with a four at the back, and that makes me slightly less confident about a clean sheet. Um, the Palace away game is another one. I think it could be without Zaha. I don't know, I don't know what his, his isolation stage is or how, if he's going to be back for that. That's a, another fixture that actually looks better than it does on paper so I'm I think I'd avoid their attack um, Wilson's, Wilson of course is the only one I'd, I'd partly consider because he's on pens and he will um, play more games than not I think over Christmas I think there's concerns about his hamstring that's why he missed out against Chelsea and maybe he might get benched for one of the games over Christmas but um, I, my money and, and the only way I'm looking at the moment because I think there's, there's possibly better options than Wilson uh, in his price point, even even taking into account the fixtures, is um, in defence. And I'm looking at Lewis. So he is one of the cheapest starting defenders now in the game. He's down to 4.3, um, which I think is the same as Kilman. Yes. Um, yeah. And there's, there's very few players beneath that who are actually regularly starting. Um, and his chance creation's all right. I think he's created seven this season, which is, is not great, but it's they've had, they've had the fixture run they've been on. Um, he hasn't been given that much scope to attack, uh, and I, I'd be looking at him for playing game weeks twelve and fourteen, possibly even game week ten, uh, as a as a fourth defender or a fifth defender. Um, and it's purely because of his cost. I think if it was anybody four point five or above, I wouldn't I wouldn't really be interested. But I do think we are we are capable of it. As I mentioned, those those big chances conceded stats earlier. Um, it's just. The thing that's put me off is the fact that Bruce is caught in a bit of a no-man's land. I think we have got Shelby to come back in. I think that will help Wilson. He's been injured recently, missing his creativity. St. Maximum just hasn't been on it at all this season. He just, I think ever since he signed that deal, he's just hasn't Six performed. contract. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that's the worst thing you can do. Somebody give, give them a long-term deal and they stop performing. Um, and I think Wilson, Wilson, half of Wilson's goals have been from the penalty spot. Yes, of course, that could continue in this season of all seasons. But I think I'd be looking more at the defence than the attack. 
it's it's a shame because at the end of uh, last season once you guys secured promotion you all were actually playing some really really good football and yeah. i was i was coming into the season thinking that there might be a few value picks emerging from newcastle because of the potential that were displayed at the end of the season but it's just not there this season the, the one thing i say is that we'll, we've still got the likes of, of as i say shelby to come back in fraser to come back in as well it was it was missing the game with the hamstring problem almiron was benched as well because he just come back from from paraguay um, so there is there is a bit of creativity to come back in there, um, and from a defensive perspective, we we didn't play. We were out Hayden for a while, and I think he's our best defensive midfielder. He's been playing with Hendrick all the season. He just hasn't hasn't been at the races. I know Hayden wasn't great the weekend, but um, I think he'll come into his own against the likes of West Brom and Fulham. What about so, Matt Ritchie? I think, do you think Ritchie replaces Lewis in the back three? I think he was playing left wing back for a large part of last season, right? Yeah. He certainly wasn't a Benitez, yes. And um, I think the reason why Bruce moved for Lewis in the summer is because he wasn't convinced about Richie in that position. Now, if, if we were playing with a back four, um, despite what I've just said, I'd be more confident about Lewis starting every week because he's he's an orthodox left-back, whereas Richie isn't. You know, Richie can play in that wing-back system, but but not as a not as a, an out-and-out left-back. So, yeah, that, that is a slight concern. Richie is back in training now. He's... He was in contention for the weekend, but just missed out. It's just match fitness at the moment, so he is to come back in. And yeah, that is a, that is a concern. I do think the shirts Lewis is to lose at the moment. I don't think he's done particularly anything particularly wrong. Um, Richie can play on the opposite side as well. Richie's played on the right quite a lot for Bournemouth and Newcastle. And right wing back is a problem we've struggled more than the left. So it, it's a possibility that he could come in for. It's been Murphy playing there for a bit. It's been Mancuso was who was terrible against Chelsea. Um, so Richie could come in on the opposite side. I think Lewis is fine for now, but I do understand the concerns. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a shame where we are at present because it is such a good run, and it's a shame there's so much uncertainty about about where we're heading in terms of a. If it was Benitez, if it was Benitez, and I was sure he was going to play a far the back, I'd be I'd be all over this fixture run. So that's um, that's the tricky thing with Newcastle, like you said. When I see easy fixtures, I think you're less likely for a clean sheet because you're actually going yeah. to come out and take the game. That's what I always notice. All right, we'll yeah. move on to the big boys now, Liverpool. <laughs> uh, any thoughts? Uh, Zof, you were a little cold on uh, Jota last uh, week, but I believe that opinion has changed. And what's your thinking? Absolutely. So, I'll just go through some stats first. Now, for Liverpool, they are top for big chances over the last four game weeks. They're also top for shots on target. Just behind, I think, Villa and Leeds for shots in the box. So, like we saw, the, I was a bit worried about how the attack would cope with all these injuries, but they proved me wrong. So, I'll just read some of Jota's stats real quick. So, over the last four game weeks, no midfielder has landed more shots on target than Jota's six. Only Trezeguet, 13 and Grealish, 11 have taken more shots in the box than his eight. And he is joint up with Salah for big chances over that period. He trails only Trezeguet, 1.54 versus 1.51. So, it's minimal. For expected goals, non-penalty XG. And he's played only, I think, 280 minutes out of a possible 360. So those numbers are insane. These are 11 million, 12 million mid numbers for the price of 6.5 million. Just can't ignore that. Unless you're Trezeguet. <laughs> Absolutely. So, and like, and Neil made a very good point, And this is something I noticed also when Keita went down. Is I think when let's, let's, they're going to more likely have to play... Or that 4-2-3-1 with Firmino playing as a number 10 because of the options they're lacking in midfield. Yeah. Firmino is going to centre-back. 
So I think that you definitely see Jota. And I was listening to the Athletic podcast, the Liverpool. They were they were just waxing lyrical all over Jota. They were calling him the signing of the season, and they say he's probably the inform attacker right now out of the front four. Yeah. Well, what are your thoughts there, Neil? Anything to add? Um, yeah, I even before Saturday. Um, or Sunday, whenever, whenever we're playing Leicester, I was looking at Robertson from this. I know a lot of people are, are ditching him or, or trying to downgrade him to free up funds. And of course, you can't fit all these players in your team. But Robertson is someone I'm trying to trying to um, shape my defence around at the moment. If I uh, wasn't wildcard, I'd have it in my team. Right yeah, yeah, I think that their fixtures. I mean, I, I wrote uh, Frisk in the fixtures last week, and I mentioned it almost as a footnote Liverpool's games. But if you're looking long term, which of course what a wild card is, you look, you're trying to look beyond the next few game weeks. Certainly for uh, for glue players, then their fixtures are, are are fantastic. Even even Wolves, which on paper isn't you know it doesn't look like a good fixture. I mean they can't go for Toffee at the moment. I mean that's like nine from nine, and their fixtures were excellent. Beyond that, I think that um, the West Ham hammering was a real turning point for them. It made Nuno realize that he was a defense first manager, and they've gone back to basics since then. So clean sheet possibilities there. I think Fabinho is a very underrated centre half. I mean, I was seeing, I was watching a bit of Carragher last night, talking about him on, on Monday Night Football, and about how um, he wouldn't say he was better than Van Dijk, but how he was, he was, he was because of that high line, he was already planning to move backwards. You know, his shape when he was facing the ball, he already had half a step ready to to cover Vardy's runs and things like that. So, um, I don't think a Fabinho Matna partnership is is really as bad as probably I made out or other people have made out in the past. I think it's um, there's maybe a, a lack of pace there, but if you've got a half a yard in your head, which Fabinho has, then um, and you could argue Milner's a better defensive player than Van, uh, Alexander Arnold as well at right back. So um, yeah, I think I think Robertson's someone I'm looking to shape my team around if I can afford him, which is not easy. And Zofa has made a fantastic case for Jota there. And what we were discussing earlier on about I forgot about Keita, forgot about Keita going down injured as well. So that's another body they've lost from that central midfield. So yeah. Maybe maybe I am I am set on on Jutter after after all that. Yeah, I'll I'll just uh, add a little bit uh, in terms of what I think what is happening at Liverpool. I'm sure Klopp is aware that he's got defensive problems, uh, but uh, I think what he's reverted back to to solve those defensive problems is making sure that his team is going to score a lot of goals so that they don't get compromised in defence. So they're, 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 if anything, I think they're playing a little more aggressive attacking football. Uh, more than they used to because he's aware that the defense is sort of a makeshift defense at the moment. And when it comes to Jota's stats, you know, for non-penalty XG plus XG per 90, amongst all the attackers this league, Jota is at number three, behind only Kane and Mane. The most surprising stat is Salah is actually bottom for all four Liverpool attackers. Actually, I think that speaks more about Salah and the quality of the finisher that he is because I think uh, his numbers are only going to go up from where we don't we generally see uh, Salah as a stat padder, a stat hogger, taking a lot of shots, and I think that's going to continue. Uh, so, so my 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 advice to everybody would be get to Liverpool attackers because it seems like they seem like the most trustworthy attack. And there's a lot of uh, talk about Jota being the new Foden. Uh, the prime difference here being is that uh, Foden is more of a midfielder, Jota's more of a forward. So there's more upside there, uh, and and he's proven in the past in the Premier League where uh, you know he scored goals. Second thing is he's very streaky. So we've known with Jota in the past that when he's on a hot run, you need to get in and then get out once his returns uh, you know, tend to dry up. So he's on a hot run right now. Get in, the stats are there. And if you're getting, I feel like he's 
on level with uh, Salah at the moment in terms of the potency he offers as a Liverpool attack. He's a, he's if you're sure that he's near, he's even a genuine captaincy option. Uh, in my eyes, the only reason you don't look at him as a captaincy option is because of that 6.5 million price tag. Yeah. And that's a, that's 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 about it. So if if, if he's uh, playing limited minutes uh, during midweek, uh, get him and I'd even consider captain him. But get get Salah, get Jota back in your team as soon as possible because they have a good run of fixtures. And then if those returns dry up and if you feel like you need to hop off, hop off at 6.5 million. Not like you're spending a lot of money. And the, that's the sec- and the third thing that I mentioned last time also is that. Even if he doesn't start, he's going to be Klopp's first attacking substitute. Whether Mane, Salah or Firmino go off, so I'm not too worried about going there. I'm probably getting him this week as well. Mm. So let's move on now to the fixtures. All right, first up, your, your boys versus Spurs. Mm. What do you, how do you see that going, like Toby's injury is huge, I think, for Spurs because I think Sanchez is out of favour. So Mourinho mentioned they're going to start the new guy. I think Rodon or whatever his name is. So... That is really something that could make our potential for attack a lot better. I do worry about us conceding because the way we press, I think it's still open to spaces on the counter-attack. But we have a much better keeper now. We have much better centre-back. So, I, I think we can win this one. But I don't see us necessarily keeping a clean sheet. Maybe 2-1 Chelsea or maybe a 1-1. But what's Lampard's record like against Mourinho? 2, two, two play 2-1. Two, Alright, nice. Nice to see but that also in his favour. Neil, how do you see this game going? It's a tough one because this is this is why I'm, I'm considering a wild card because I've got, I've got four players across the two teams and I think that's overkill really for a fixture as, as close as this. Uh, I think you'll see Mourinho adopt very, very similar tactics to what we saw at the weekend. And um, do you think, what do you think, do you think it'll, it'll be a 4-3-3 again from Chelsea? Do you think he's going to ever move away from that um, in the sort of the bigger fixtures, or is, it, or is he now set on? Set I on I think he's set on it primarily because he's getting the best out of Kante. This is the best yeah. I've seen Kante yeah. play in a long, long time, probably since the Antonio Kante days. So I don't think he'll mess around with that too much. He's got Mount playing in probably his best position. The question is really, I think who plays alongside Mount? Is it going to be Jorginho or Kovacic? I think that's mm-hmm. the only spot really up for grabs. I could see this being a nil-nil. I think. I think this will be very, very tight. I think. Um, yeah, what you said about old rivals very, very pertinent actually. Um, that that partnership had settled into something quite decent actually at the back for Spurs. Um, so that is the only sort of ray of light I could see for Chelsea because I think Tottenham's got the best defensive record in the Premier League now. I think they got the lowest number of goals conceded. So they were amazing um, against Man City. What a defensive performance! Yeah, Even from yeah. Aurier, I thought they were. Super yeah, that was the most surprising thing. He's made Aurier into a solid fullback. You have to give yeah. Mourinho credit for that. Yeah. yeah, and he started against United as well, I think, in that away game. And we saw a lot of sun cover, uh, tracking back and covering him on, on the right. Probably yeah. the reason why he started there rather than the left. Yeah. Um, and I, and, and they, I'm glad that he's not starting Bale because I think that compromises yeah. on yeah. the way they play the game a little bit. Yeah, he didn't have a, he didn't have a good game against... Uh, was it Brighton they were playing? Or Burnley? I can't remember which one it was. But yeah, he, he just didn't look, didn't look ready. Um, and Suzuko in there, I think, is is as important as Heidberg. I mean, lots being made of Heidberg, but Suzuko's engine in that in that midfield is, is significant I think at the moment mm. as I started the Steve Will Winks alongside it just it just didn't really work uh, so I, I could say it's been a, a scoreless draw right. I, I think it's going to be a draw as well but if I had to call a winner I think it'd be Chelsea because of uh, no Toby for uh, Spurs and I feel like uh, Chelsea are a more sorted in form in sync attack at the moment compared to a Man City 
so I, if I had to call a winner, it would be that. And also, I feel like Thiago's experience uh, in a big game like this is going to come through for them. I think he's going to be able to, uh, you know, because uh, you mentioned last time around as well that he's, you know, very vocal in the defence. He's, uh, you know, telling people where to go, etc., etc. So, I think that experience might come in handy against Spurs. So, uh, win by a goal for Chelsea for me. Yep. Next, United Southampton. LR, you can start this one. Uh, tough to predict because uh, I don't know if we are uh, uh, able to absorb pressure. The only thing that gives me confidence is right now Pogba is in starting. Uh, so, uh, you know, the midfield double pivot that I spoke about last week, it's, it's made us more solid in defence than normal. Uh, so, and I feel like uh, in Bruno, Rashford and Marshall, we have uh, enough to win this game by a goal. I think we'll nick it by a goal. And I see Marshall scoring. He likes to score against Southampton. I remember three or four or five goals that he scored against the Saints. It's one of a, one of his more favourite opposition. Hmm. Neil? Yeah, I think I think this is United. This is a, a good game for United. I think Southampton's been really good this season. And Vestergaard, who I thought it was been a, um, a bit of a joke amongst my uh, team news predictions because I've just you know he's likened to a turning circle of a lorry because he's just but he's been really really good since he came in. Um, I just think this is exactly the type of game where yeah, Martial and Rashford could prosper as much as Fernandez. Um, the the high line isn't isn't as comically suicidal as it was in the early stages of the season, but it's part of their game. They, part of their approach is to press from the front, and then uh, everything follows from the back. So, I think this is a, this is the kind of game where United will find space. And we saw last night. I mean, I'm, I'm a McCarthy owner, and he's racking up the saves against a, a very Limited Wolves attack, um, so I do think this is this is going to be a a Solskjaer special where he just keeps things ticking over. He's every time he's his job's slightly at risk, he'll pull out an away game, away result like this. So I think this could be like a two-one-three-one United. I, I do think Southampton will score. He's going to continue with this uh, double pivot and not play yeah. Pogba until he finds uh, uh, someone to play on the right hand side in January. I'm hoping somebody gets somebody because uh, until then this is the best way to keep it ticking. Oh, like you mentioned. Yeah. Utkarsh, any thoughts? Oh, that I pretty much agree with you. I think it's a game built for counter-attack. I think Neil made a good point. The line isn't as high as it was before, but Southampton have been giving up a lot of chances of late. I think McCarthy has been in very good form. He's been bailing them out, even against Villa. Villa, in the second half, I remember, had six or seven shots on target, which McCarthy saved. So, I see United win in this one. All right. Next up, Brighton versus Liverpool. I'll, I'll kick us off on this one. Uh, I see it as a, a pretty comfortable win for Liverpool. Uh, I don't see Potter uh, playing defensive in this game. I think he's going to play the way he's used to be. The only problem is, uh, like Klopp mentioned, you know, he's worried about the short turnaround time between the Champions League game and this game. But I think he's going to manage minutes and his players are going to be sharp uh, for the Brighton game. So, uh, win by two or three goals for Liverpool for me. Agree. Anything to Neil, add, Neil? Anything? I think the one thing I'd, I'd be slightly concerned about from Liverpool's perspective is that Lamptey's out, which I think is um, I think Potter will reshape his team based around that, and I just wonder how he'll, how he'll approach it. I think probably Veltman coming in, but is he a wing back? I mean, I, he certainly doesn't offer the, the box-to-box thrust of Lamptey. So does he go with a more you know regimented back four, and then and then build a more defensive setup around that? Um, it's difficult because why would you change, you know, Lamptey, uh, sorry, uh, Mopay and Welbeck form such a good partnership at the weekend? Would you want to break that up and play it uh, Try and try and neuter your opponent. So, yeah, if if Lamptey was there and as good as he is, 
then um, there'd be more space for the likes of Robertson, Robertson to exploit. And I just wonder how Potter's going to set up on the basis of that. But I, I completely agree. I think we saw last season, uh, towards the end of last season, when Liverpool went and, and spanked Brighton in their own backyard, scored early. Um, and I, I can I can see another comfortable comfortable win here. So, yeah, and, and hence the reason why I'm uh, looking to get Liverpool players straight back in on the wild card. Makes sense. Makes sense. Next move on. Next one. Everton leads. High scoring draw. Both teams aren't defending much at the moment. Both teams are doing really well in attack. I think Bamford owners uh, have been hard done by Hiko. He should have had at least a couple of goals in the last few games. I think they they amassed 25 or 26 shots against Arsenal. That that was a staggering number. Uh, And then them, as convinced as I've ever been about Bamford as a pick. High-scoring draw for me. I agree. 2-2 is what I've got down here. Yeah. Yeah. Agrees. Yeah. Now the big one. City, Burnley. Huh. I'm hoping they find their form. I'm hoping they find their uh, mojo. The good thing is that I did. I like that Sterling didn't start against uh, Spurs. And I think that didn't work for City clearly. I fully expect him to start in both the home games that are coming now. Uh, City have done well against them previously. But I'm not as confident as I was. There's a lot of... You mentioned to me, Zoff, that there's a lot of talk about uh, you know, journalists saying that they should revert back to having their wingers on the natural side rather than the inverted winger play that they're having at the moment. But we don't know what Pep is up to or what he's going to do. Uh, still, will have enough uh, in their armory to beat Burnley by a couple of goals. Mm. But I think I agree with you. I think it'll be a couple of goals, but I don't see it being five or six. Because Burnley, I think, have found the defensive mojo and people will point to the game right after the restart. But I think Burnley was still getting their feedback. Now, I think they've got some out defensive form. They were pretty solid yesterday against Palace. So, I think probably a 2-0. That's what yeah, I this, this is This is a regular occurrence with Burnley where they start a season in a bit of a, a bit of a disarray. Yeah. They did last season. They did it after the restart as well. They did it at the start of this season. Part of that was personnel. But I think once they, they are a rhythm team, once they've got, they've got me and Tarkovsky back, both the first-choice full-backs are available. They've got a decent centre midfield partnership now, uh, Brownhill and Westwood. And they've even got orthodox winners back as well. So I, I, I agree with, I think, um, uh, Zofa's analysis there. I think it'll be a comfortable win without it being the the hammering of, of previous seasons. I think this may be the first step towards getting Man City back to that rhythm we've seen in the past. I think this may be the stepping stone on the, on the greater things. But yeah, I, I think probably a 2-3-0. All right. Let's just touch on the one more fixture I think people are looking at for captaincy this week. Leicester versus Fulham. Do you guys think Vardy is a standout captain pick this week versus somebody like a De Bruyne or a Sterling? Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a good captaincy option. Vardy, like, I, he, he's a flat-track bully. He likes playing against his teams and he tends to score a lot of his goals against such opposition. So, I wouldn't be surprised to get a goal or two. So there was a piece on The Athletic about Leicester's new approach, especially versus teams that are now playing deeper. Now, the more more teams are realising the deeper you play, the less space Vardy is going to get to counter-attack. So, Rodgers has changed his game up a little bit. He's having Vardy drop in a lot of deeper link-up play. And what that's done is, A, it's increased Vardy's assist potential. You look at his key passes, I think he's played five or six key passes in the last three, four games, which is not very Vardy usually. And B, he's making his runs a lot more central rather than drifting out wide to trying yeah. to find that space. So, I think it's a better fixture I think, than it looks. A lot of people, they're like, oh, maybe Leicester can't do it against deep defences. I think they can. I don't even think Fulham is a very deep defence. <laughs> That's they're also true. Yeah. Yeah. They've, they've been playing a fair bit uh, 
you know they like to stamp their authority on the game as well i thought they had a really good second half against everton yeah, they were very yeah. close to pulling off at least a, a draw there uh, so that's one of the reasons yeah. because fulham like to stamp their authority on the game as well why i fancy wali but good point you mentioned because uh, whenever wadi does drift in his uh, crossing from either side has been pretty accurate he's been yeah. able to find the guy in the center with that ball so that's something Neil, anything to add in you yeah i think fulham's fulham's defense as well they are um parker insists a bit like arsenal insists on them playing out from the back i mean they they were top of all kind of passing statistics last season you've seen um the likes of uh I think Reem up the sky as well, and a lot of their players get passing bonus because they complete so many passes every game. And I could see Leicester uh, capitalising on that. Vardy is, is, is decent. He knows when to press now. He's quite an intelligent presser. He doesn't do it all the time. He's, he doesn't hair after every ball, but he's. I could see him nicking um, possession quite high up the uh, high up the pitch. And as Fulham are trying to play out from the back, which is the only way they know under Parker. So I think yeah, I think this is a good reason, a good game for a number of reasons for, for Leicester. Nice, good point. Right, so let's just quickly move on to the differentials. So, LR, I see you've gone with Marshall. Tell us yeah, why. because he likes playing against that team, which is something I'm aware of as a United fan. So, I can't see him. 3.9% owned. Mm. I've gone with Hurahan. I think he's going to come in in place of Barkley next game. I think, like I think we mentioned earlier, that Grealish was moved central because he could not track back Lamptey at all so that's probably something tactical that Smith will look to change this game and Hurehan has decent set piece threat I really like what he does with his free kicks corners I think he can nick something there I was surprised to see uh, Traore pull rank over Grealish when mm-hmm. on the, the corners and free, I was quite surprised to. Uh, yeah. I, that's the one thing I saw as a silver lining maybe when Barkley went out them, or maybe Grealish is going to take some set pieces now but turned out not to be the case yeah. so Neil you've gone for Castagna could you tell us why yeah, with with the obvious obvious caveat that he's got a yellow flag on his on his, uh, his name in FPL. He was due back last week, but um, Rogers confirmed after the game that he he sort of had a, a mild uh, repercussion of it, and they weren't going to risk him. But he, he's expecting him back this week, so keep tabs on on the press conferences to ensure that. But I think if he is back, then um, then he's he's a he's a great option for this week for this week and the next the next four. And he's um, that wing-back system that they're now playing obviously allows him to get up. We've seen a lot in the early weeks of the season that uh, whether it be Justin on one side, Castagna on the other, it's not so much assist potential as goal threat as well because they make those diagonal runs in from almost like Dotty, you know, underlapping yeah, yeah. runs into the sort of six-yard box areas. Because they're inverted, um, right? They also play the inverted system. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And we saw how susceptible uh, Fulham were that we end to balls across from, from the left. Which is what uh, what Dini was doing, and obviously Castagna running in from from the right. I could see him if he starts and if he's fit, which is of course the, the big ifs. Then not just not just clean sheet potential, but potential uh, attacking threat as well. I hmm. think that's a great pick. So before we jump into the Q and A, we're just going to discuss our teams. LR, you're up first. All right, I'll just uh, read up my team for the benefit of the listeners. Uh, in defense, I have Martinez as my keeper. I have Chilwell, Luke Ailing, and Matty Target. I've got De Bruyne, Sterling, who's got the armband at the moment, Grealish, and Podence. I've got Werner, Kane, and Calvert-Lewin up front. Uh, I have one free transfer, but I'm thinking of definitely getting a Liverpool attacker. My, my routes to a Liverpool attacker are uh, selling either Kane or Werner and downgrading that forward to Bamford, who I'm pretty confident about as a pick, and either upgrading Grealish to Salah or Podence to Jota. I'm leaning towards upgrading Podence to Jota at the moment because I'm just done with 
confidence as a pick. Uh, the only reason I might not do something like this is if Guerrero seduces me. I just want to put that out there. Mm-hmm. So I'll bring up my team up now. So I've got Martinez in goal, Diaz, Cancelo, and Chilwell in defense. Fernandez, De Bruyne, Ziyech, and Grealish in midfield. Vardy as my captain, Watkins and Calvert Lewin with Kufal at first sub. So, and so. are you looking to save after the? I don't know. It all depends on how the teams like you know pan out. I'm possibly now Salah has to come in at some point for Fernandez. The initial plan was to downgrade DCL to fund it. So I'm not sure I'm going to do that anymore. I might downgrade Ziyech to Jota, which like allows me to fund that. So that's something I'm looking at depending on minutes. I like the double switch that you're thinking of. Yeah, I think Salah and Jota is better than Fernandez and Ziyech. Yeah, so Ziyech's been good. I think Ziyech's going to create a lot. But I think like Hamas, there is going to be a little bit of where he's going to assist the assister playing the hockey assist. So, and he lost corner duties to Mount. I was pretty surprised for that against Newcastle also. That seems to be a common thing, is it? With Chelsea, I've noticed um, as well that they've... It seems to be a different corner take every every three or four game weeks. You know, I've, I've seen James taking a lot earlier in the season. Chilwell was on them as well. Mount's been in and out. ZX as well. And it, it seems to be, I don't know if this is, is, is this a regular thing. Is this a thing Lampard does where he just needs to keep the position guessing? I don't know. I think we're still finding out because we're doing a lot of different things with set pieces. Now, if you remember the first goal we scored, it was not really a cross into the box. It's something where they did their interplay and Mount charged inside. That's not something Ziyech would be very good at doing. So I think Mount maybe keeps that option open where he can play in short and he's more mobile, can charge inside. So that's probably something behind that. So now we have your team, Neil. Mm -hmm. Just walk us through it, please. So I, I can't actually see your screens over. Is it the one I've got now? Is it gimmick, my gimmick nine? So yeah. I'll, I'll just read it yeah. out. I've got it yeah. up here. I'll just read it out. It's McCarthy, Dean, Chilwell and Kilman, Grealish, Fernandez, Bowen, Sun, Kane, Mitrovic and Werner. So I'm guessing you're probably going to bring Justin in for Kilman at least. That, that's absolutely spot on. Yeah, I was looking, I'm looking at my gimmick 10 setup now. It's That's exactly the change I've made. I think otherwise at the moment it's, it's the same as was... Um, now, obviously, there's, there's fires to fight there if I was not using my wild card. And my transfers would be Mitrovic to Calvert-Lewin, which should have been done long ago, and, and then maybe for a hit, uh, Werner to Vardy. Now, I've got my wild card intact, and it was I was set on playing it this week. I've just got to think this wasn't through very carefully. Part of the, part of the reason I'm, I'm doubting it is I'm half wondering whether I can, I can save it for sort of 16 and start planning game week 18 and double game week 19, but then you're sacrificing a big chunk of fixtures over December. And I'm kind of, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm sort of drifting towards towards that. I'm just, team's still competitive for game week 10, um, with the exception of Mitrovic. Uh, I've got a wild card draft here. I can talk you through that. And maybe you can, you can you can rip that apart. Sure. Let me just bring that up. Um, so I, I stuck Marthy in goal. I know their fixtures aren't fantastic, but... I liked what Simon Marsh did. I read his article, and he, he's got the McCarthy and, and Forster uh, double up. Um, so Forster's four point million, and you know if McCarthy's not going to play, that he's going to go straight in because Angus Gunn has left the club on loan. Uh, and their fixtures aren't bad, I don't think. In in the in the short term, longer term, not so good. So they've got uh, Brighton, Sheffield United, and Arsenal after this weekend, which I think's all right. I think Arsenal, as we discussed, is. I've got a very, very limited attack at the moment, and Brighton and Chelsea United, uh, limited front men, I think we can say. 
Um, even United, you could see him racking up save points as he did last night. Defence, uh, I've still got Chilwell, unsurprisingly. still got Justin. And I've still got Kilman. Um, I've added Robertson and Lewis. Now, um, as I said earlier, Robertson's someone I'm trying to build my defence around, given, given the longer-term fixtures. Lewis, we discussed Newcastle at length, and I won't go into that anymore, but um, for 4.3 million, given the rises that the likes of Kilman and Mitchell have had, then he's one of the, one of the cheapest starting defenders at the moment. Uh, midfield, I've done great at Bo- uh, Boent to Suchek, um, and I've, I've brought in uh, De Bruyne and, and Jota. So I've kept Fernandez and Grealish for now. Grealish is going nowhere. Fernandez might be going somewhere, potentially to, to Salah. And then my front line is, um, at the moment, uh, completely changed. So it's Vardy, uh, Calvert-Lewin and Antonio. But Antonio is obviously, um, I'm waiting on news from Moyes. And I think that might be a transfer book in later on down the line. Because I think their fixtures are, are better from, certainly mm-hmm. from game week 15. You could argue game week 12 as well. Uh, and you could you could view the next two weeks as an audition period for Antonio to see where he's fitness level delay because we, we obviously there's that long-term concern about his hamstrings he kind of he kind of um assuaged the fears after lockdown can we just he strung together loads of starts in a row he wasn't being rested for any of those games that West Ham had he's playing twice a week and we thought oh he's you know he's finally over that that those chronic hamstring injuries because he's, he's he's pulled out again recently he is back in training so we'll, we'll see where he is for the weekend I do like him at his price I mean 6.2 for a forward who's who's proven to be um, a reliable, not just goal scorer, but someone who's consistently getting quality chances. Uh, and I think West Ham's attack has suffered when he's been out. I know Alas scored at the weekend, but they're just not the same team without Antonio Wayne. I think, I think Bowen and Bowen else suffer a bit as well. So that's that's my team at the moment. I don't know. Feel free to, to shred it to pieces, uh, lads, if you want. But is there, is there any way you think I can I can improve on that? No, I like it, but I don't think necessarily your team needs a wildcard. It would be an aggressive move to yeah. play it, but then again, you never know yeah. how Sun and Kane are going to perform. I'd probably just ship out Mitrovic, and I don't even think you necessarily need to shift Werner out for Vardy. Maybe like you know, maybe get in another captain option somewhere. I mean, if he's downgrade, he's, uh, if, if at all you can downgrade Mitrovic to uh, a Bamford or Antonio, and you can fund Salah through that. Yeah. No, no. Mitrovic is cheaper than them now. So okay, all right, all right. You need to get oh, yes. Salah somehow, and the Bowen downgrade also does it. Uh, so yeah, Bowen to Suchek is actually a move I actually quite like. I think Suchek offers just as much. Yeah, as Bowen does. I I do see the uh, upside in uh, pulling the trigger. Also, I think it's going to be a difficult decision right until the game week nineteen deadline for you because there's so many good options. So you mm-hmm. whenever you are wildcarding. You're going to remove some good options out of your team. I was just reading the Karam Tazers. Yeah, so the guy lost 30 or 40 points on his wild card. Yeah, so, I mean that's that's pretty brutal. So it's never going to be easy that decision. But what advice I can give you and uh, the listeners is if you are holding on to your wild card, putting it in the back pocket, you can bring out a little bit of reckless Neil back for the next two, three, four game weeks because I feel like having uh, the wild card so late into the season it enables risk taking as a manager because you always have a get out of jail card free yeah. so so if at all you choose to not play it i think you can play a little bit aggressively and uh, in a slightly risky way if you had if you felt like yep I, I totally agree with that so i think i think yeah. jota fits the bill for the yeah. transfer you should look at right yeah. let's move on to the q and a all right uh let's move to q and a we'll do a quick run 
first questions for you Zoff it's from FPL Flair Vardy's non penalty xg has been pretty lack- lackluster how do you envision him faring in this very generous run is he worth it over a KDB or a Sterling first of all yeah yeah you have the stat tell us yeah so uh, over the last four Vardy's non pen xgs 2.4 he has only only two more strikers are more that's Firmino at 3.02 and Bamford at 4.72 so this, they're not really very lackluster stats per se. So he's a very good pick. Now, is he worth it over, a, say, a KDB or Sterling? I don't really know because I'd, I'd like to think they have a higher ceiling. Like, you know, if KDB and Sterling, they hit on that day, I could see them going for 15-16. Vardy, I still see potentially as a brace, a goal and assist, 10-12 to 12 point guy. But you'd argue that Vardy has shown more than the other two have. So it depends on your risk potential, like, you know, what your yeah. risk tolerance is. Due to their team winning more penalties. <laughs> not that uh, next question is from Chris Tan FPL. Uh, I'll take this one. Uh, talk to me about Foden. Exercise patience with that fixture run or easy switch to Dota, assuming both are fine post UCL. Uh, I feel like uh, I got rid of Foden last week and I feel like uh, between the two, if you're looking at an apples to apples comparison, I feel like Dota is a, more, is a better option compared to Foden because uh, Foden has more uh, competition in his place as well in terms of three or four options who could you know play on the wing or in centre midfield. Jota is in the first team at the moment. He's a striker. He's more direct. Uh, and he's going to be... he He's competing for only one spot in the sense that if Liverpool do play 4-3-3, uh, he's the next best option, which is not the case in terms of Man City with the more options. So... I like Jota more as an option compared to Foden. He's the most superior option now. Agreed. All right. Next question is for you, Neil. It's from mm-hmm. FPL Gens. Should we be thinking about selling Wolves defenders for Man City defenders this week? Arsenal fans score, so it looks like a good fixture for Wolves. But fixtures get tough after that in MCI. Man City should have a good chance to start a run of clean sheets against Burnley. Would you recommend that yeah. switch? Yeah, I suppose it depends who your Wolves defender is. I think if it's, if it's someone like Samedo, one of the more expensive options, like then I think it makes sense because while there is an excellent chance of a clean sheet this weekend, I think if you were if you were medium term planning or if you were um, you got the luxury of making a transfer for, for planning further down the line, then it makes sense to do that switch right now. I'm not sure about Cancelo. I think I know he's I know he's he's part of their first choice back four now. I think un- unquestionably, but I think they've got Mendy and Zinchenko or near in fitness or, or, or certainly around around about the, the start of the squad. So. Um, they've got Champions League and UEFA League, uh, UF, uh, League Cup involvement as well. I could see them rotated a bit. I think Diaz would be the, my, my pick. I've got him in, in the Sky game. I think with, with Wolves, if you've got Kilman, um, I'm possibly thinking of keeping him, even though they've got this, this upcoming run. I, I wouldn't be averse to playing him this weekend, actually. I think if you've got, if you need to, to fight fires elsewhere, I wouldn't make it a priority transfer. Um, I think they've, they've Arsenal's attack is just is, is poorly at the moment. And Wolves, yes, they looked a bit wobbly last night because they went to a back four. I don't expect him to repeat that next week. I think he's probably seen enough of that. It was through necessity because Cody was out and Sice as well. And I think he didn't want to leave Neves and Moutinho as a, as a midfield too. So he, hence he played then Donker in there as well. Um, so I, I, if I own Kilman, uh, which I do, I would I'd probably keep him and consider playing him this week. With Samedo, I think... Attack and returns, which is part of the reason you brought him in the first place. There just aren't going to be that many opportunities over the next what six, seven weeks. Um, and this Arsenal game is really the last hurrah. So yeah, I think I think if you were a medium term planner, then then now is the time to to move for City. All right, agree. 
Next question is for you, Zoff. It's from FPL Hokic. It looks like Tammy has nailed down his spot as striker. Is he a better pick than Timo, seeing as he's supplied by the same team? Not got pens, but you can spend the two points to elsewhere. And he's been pretty decent in the last three Premier League and Champions League. Not as explosive as So, Abraham has had just one big chance over the last four game weeks. Werner has had five. But Abraham has created eight chances over that period, more than any other forward. So, you can see that the kind of role that Abraham is playing is almost similar to a Firmino role. So, it's like a question, would you rather have a Firmino or would you rather have a Mane or Salah? You'd always go for the guy who has a higher ceiling. And with penalties in his locker, I think it's easily won Alright. Just a little selfish question again to use off. I mean, I need to drop one of Kane or Werner at the moment. Who would you recommend selling? Huh. Heart says sell Kane. Head says sell Werner. <laughs> Alright. Okay. I'll take that answer. I'll take that answer. I'm sure we're going to be discussing this during the week as well. Uh, next question is for you, Neil. It's from FPL Croet. Thanks for asking my question, answering my question in the last pod. It was really helpful. My question now is a dilemma I think a lot of FPL managers have which is who to keep out of Kane and Son considering the replacements would probably be either KDB or Vardy. What do you think, Neil? Well, it's a dilemma I'm having as well. I think I'd probably sell Kane sooner than Son, but I'd rather buy KDB than Vardy. So, um, different positions, of course. Um, I, I do think, I've covered a lot of this already, I think, in this podcast. I think the, the discussion about Kane, as you mentioned, you made a really good point there, Neil, about, about the Palace and Arsenal games potentially being more Kane games. But, Longer term, I think Sun could prosper. Um, what you will have with Kane, he's, he's actually na- more nailed, you think, over Christmas than even Vardy. I mean, we saw Vardy rested a bit last season because he's, he's aging limbs and that, that chronic hip problem he's got, it takes a few days to recover. So I could see him actually, once upon a time, he was a nailed presence. I think he could get a rest or two when the fixtures get congested. So I think I prefer, obviously, rotation's always a risk of City as well. Um, I prefer KDB out of him and Vardy. Um, but I think I drop. I think I drop Kane over Son because I think partly due to the price difference as well, and that goes a long mm-hmm. way um, to fund another moves. All right. Next question is from Alon Shamir. Uh, he's. Uh, I'll take this one. He's asking who's the better value for money: Chilwell, James, Cresswell, Kufal, Konsa, and Cancelo. It's a pretty easy question. I think uh, Chilwell is the best defender in the game at the moment, uh, so you have to go for him. Uh, but I actually want to ask you now, Zoff, has your opinion changed on James? Is he more nailed than we thought was? Yes, I, I think a lot has changed since we last discussed. There are two things primarily. One is the signing of Thiago Silva has brought that leadership similar to what Aspie used to provide. So at least that has been substituted. And B, the relationship with Ziyech. I think there was a lot of Lampard talked about how he wants to play Reese James and Ziyech together. They complement each other really well. So, I do I think James is a lot more nailed than he was three, four weeks ago. He's a viable pick now, yeah? I think do, so. Do you All see right. um, Lampard turning to us be in any of the forthcoming games? Given that, you know, he's going to be up against Sun possibly next week and then Aubameyang after that. Zaha possibly uh, in between as well. You know, like very good left-sided attackers. Do you think, would he, would he turn to... I don't know, you probably watch more Chelsea than I mm. do. Is, Obviously, Thiago being alongside James is helping him, but his, his defensive aptitude in itself, is that, is that improving, you think? That has also improved. That is the next point I make. Now, in terms of pace, Aspie is a little bit short on pace compared mm-hmm. to Reese James. And Reese James is also very physical. He's very strong. So, I think defensively, James has improved a lot. And so, I really don't know when he would necessarily play Aspie. Maybe he's mm-hmm. going to play Aspie in the Champions League. But James right now, it looks like he's a clear choice in that position. 
ஆசைங்க Outside of that, I don't see any other logical explanation for those topics. You have to go for the more nailed KDB or stuff. All right. Uh, next question is for you, Zop. Uh, it's from WCSR99. In general, how many game weeks do you give a player before making a decision on them? Example for now, Rashford, who looked a bit off the pace. Is there a sample size you feel comfortable with? So it, it differs, I think, for buying a player and for selling a player. Now, for buying a player, I definitely try to... I don't make my decision on one week. A good rule I have is that if that player hadn't hauled on that particular week, would I still be interested in buying him? I think so. Probably for attackers, at least two weeks. But I would like to see, obviously, underlying stats, which are sustainable. Now, in terms of players to sell, usually I go for a sample size of three matches. if a player is going to return once in every three matches and this obviously differs for the premium players versus a budget players or somebody at 6 million i'd be okay with even you know a return every once every three weeks but again it comes back to underlying stats if you're like the che adams you're posting positive underlying stats i'd be more keen on keeping than not all right next question is for you neil it's from stadium of sports with the barkley injury grealish did not look as dangerous against brighton could we see him slightly fall to the levels of last season is it wise to move him to a jota sesh hamas rodriguez in the short term uh i wouldn't do that move i think i think those other players you mentioned are, are great options but i wouldn't i wouldn't say grealish is the mate with he's going nowhere from my wildcard team uh, for now um i think we were discussing this a bit off air where we, we i think our brighton game we can write off a tiny bit it was it was horses for courses i think when bartley went off and because of the joy lamp he was getting down that right flank Uh, Grealish has moved inside I think because they wanted someone like Trezeguet to to cover cover Lamptey's runs down that right and Grealish just wasn't as as effective in in the in the center. Mm-hmm. So um it remains to be seen what 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 uh, Smith does with speak and if he brings in Hurahan as as Zof suggesting there. But um looking forward I mean Kufal um uh Ankio Spedo Barsley um Furlong Klein those right backs who Grealish is up against in the next six games they aren't going to offer the threat that Lamptey is maybe Semedo but um so I can't say Villa shape and their attack around an opposition right back strengths yeah. um and I think it's just it's just for that price I mean I got him at 7 um and part of the reason obviously is cause values are tied in that but last four game weeks if you think there's any I think Villa Villa will tail off I think there's a, undoubtedly they will do that they're not going to be up there the rest of the season but last four game weeks I mean he's he's top for big chances created or joint top um third among this is all players not just midfielders third for shots in the box uh, top for penalty box touches so i think he's still he's still proven enough i think one game in special circumstances against brighton isn't enough for me to to get rid of him and i think he's going to be in for for christmas for me i think he's, he's going nowhere yeah other i recommend selling vilish but i do expect his numbers to tail off a little because the conversation what we saw was that uh, barkley occupied a defender or two as well you know which took a little focus off vilish and uh, you know <laughs> Uh, left some space for him otherwise uh, if barkley is not in that team grealish is the primary threat uh, that uh, exists in the rashmila team so i do see teams doubling or tripling up on grealish which is what brighton also did in my opinion 
so that is the only slight caveat that I'd like to add to what you mentioned. He's back in two weeks, so Grealish, uh, yeah. from what the latest reports, yeah, Barkley is only expected to be out for two weeks, max three. All right. Okay, next question is for you, Zoff. It's from Pratesh Shetty. Uh, with Hamez not returning in the past few weeks, does it make the sense to switch? Make sense to switch to Zayesh or over Hamez? Are there any other better midfield options to own over these two in the same price range as per underlying numbers? So I would stick with Hamez at least this weekend. I think on paper, home to Leeds is a better fixture than home to Spurs for Ziyech. So, but I would still recommend I think now Jota over Ziyech having watched I think Jota is so much more direct so much more closer to goal Ziyech can have a great game assist the assist maybe pick up one assist or two but he had zero penalty box touches against Newcastle I know he was the one Werner was passing to but ultimately he wasn't really in the box as much and I think the potential that Jota offers in terms of a ceiling of like 15, 16, 20 points I don't think Ziyech can offer that All right. Uh, the next question is from No Look FPL. I think Neil, you and we can both take this one. Best budget forward to own long term. Next ten game weeks or so. Watkins, Bamford, Antonio, Che Adams, etc. Who do you like the most, Neil? Yeah, I think as I said earlier, if, if I could be sure of Antonio's fitness, I think I prefer him over, over the others. Bamford is a funny one because last season his um, his conversion rate, and this has been widely documented, it, it was pretty poor. I mean, he, he scored from. He had the top for shots in the championship, and his conversion rate was down to like eleven percent, which is which is terrible, really, uh, for the championship. And obviously, when you're making the step up, but he's he's confounded expectations this season. I think his conversion rate is about twenty percent, which isn't isn't astronomical, and it isn't a rate where you'd say, well, that's unsustainable. You know, if you were scoring with fifty percent of your chances, um, then you'd say, well, that's not going to last. One in five, it, it doesn't sound like like too unrealistic uh, an expectation for him to continue what he's doing now. And Leeds are creating a lot, lot of and chances. Chances he's missing. He's not really scuffing them. I think they've been yeah. really good saves by the keeper as well. Well, he hit the post at the weekend as well. He could, yeah. I could easily have crept in. Um, so I, I was, I, I was dismissive of his, of his prospect at the start of the season. I was, I was almost sneery about people who went for him, thinking, "Oh, you just, you're not looking really deeply into it." But I've, I've been made to eat my words. And yeah, I think I'm not looking at him right now. Although Everton is a, is a great fixture, um, but I will be looking at him potentially from game week twelve. If I'm thinking of downgrading Calvert-Lewin at that point and then freeing up money for uh, a premium midfielder upgrade. So I do like Bamford, actually. I think their, their fixtures are good. Um, Watkins, I think, uh, again, what I said about Villa, I, I'm not sure whether their, their sort of that early season bubble is, is sustainable. And I think, obviously, with with uh, ease on pens, which is, is you know, that is in his, in his favour. Um, and their fixtures are pretty good as well. But I think I'm just loath to do the double up. I think it depends if you if you got Grealish already. I think I think we've we saw last week. I think Villa are so hot and cold that I, I, I'm just not not in favour of doubling up on Villa, which is probably more reflective of my managerial approach, spreading the risk. Um, but there's no doubt he's got good fixtures as well. And uh, for me, for me, Bamford is the clear best option in the price bracket, and I I've stopped looking at fixtures for Leeds because, like I mentioned last week as well, they they outpossess the caliber of teams like Liverpool and Man City. They had 65 to 70% position possession against teams like Arsenal. They, amount, they, they had 25 shots against teams like Arsenal. In the last six game weeks, Bamford is top in the league for shots, shots in the box, shots on target, with chances, XG, XG non-penalty and XGI amongst all attackers. So, that just uh, there's a clear argument in his favour and in my opinion, he's emerging as one of the most 
one of the best value picks in the game at the moment. He just seems like a second pocket option uh, at the moment to me. So I'm looking to get him as soon as possible. He's a clear standout option in the bracket for me personally. Makes All sense. right. Uh, I think that's it uh, from our end for this part. Thank you so much, Neil, for taking the time out and uh, you know, talking to us and letting us know about your past and giving the listeners, letting the listeners know a little bit more about you. Uh, any last words, Neil? No, I just, I just again want to thank you too for having me on because it's, um, it's, uh, it's one of the, the elite podcasts now, I think, and <laughs> uh, amongst the <laughs> FPL community. So I, I. Um, Usually, when I'm talking to my friends outside of FPL, I can I can hold me on. It's it's daunting to be in the company of such uh, two brilliant managers. But yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it, and I hope um, it was our pleasure. Hope to see you again soon. Any last words, off? Oh, nothing else. Just the usual: like and subscribe, everyone. So the more you like and subscribe, the more views we get. So, so as ways of supporting the podcast, please do go ahead and like and subscribe if you haven't already. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Thank Goodbye, you everyone. Goodbye. See you on the other side. Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.